welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast. On the paper, British Intestinal Failure Alliance Guidance on Hematological and Biochemical Monitoring of Adults Receiving Home Parental Nutrition. Published online in Frontline Gastroenterology in January 2021. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Associate and Social Media Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, UK. And I extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Nick Thompson, who's a Consultant Gastroenterologist in the Department of Gastroenterology, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, Newcastle, United Kingdom. He has helped develop Newcastle as a regional centre for parental nutrition support and the hospital has recently been designated as one of the integrated intestinal failure centres in England. Dr. Thompson is the senior author in this excellence guidance document and a friend of mine. Nick, thanks very much for joining me today to do this podcast, especially at this very difficult time in the world. And of course, congratulations on your excellent review and guidance. Firstly, could I ask you to explain the background to your paper and why this is such an important subject area? Thank you very much for asking me to be involved in this, my first podcast. Um, and also thanks very much to Jeremy Nightingale from BIFA or the British Intestinal Failure Alliance for asking us to produce this guidance. And we very much wanted it to be both practical and helpful. Um, to sort of put it into context, um, intestinal failure requiring home parental nutrition has become increasingly common and the prevalence is now about 50 per million. So in the UK, there are going to be about 3,000 patients on home parental nutrition. That's adult patients. The reasons for needing home parental nutrition include severe Crohn's disease, um, gut loss from uh, mesenteric ischemia and large resections, things going wrong in surgery um, with... Uh, fistulae abscesses requiring um, at least a medium-term uh, home parental nutrition, possibly as a bridge to further surgery, sometimes uh, for lifelong. And then there are other causes of having either an inaccessible or insufficient or just non-functioning small bowel. So the, when thinking about this guideline and this guidance, um, there's a balance between over-monitoring stable adult patients in the community, uh, dragging them to some sort of healthcare facility, uh, but also we don't want to miss important micronutrient deficiency or toxicity. And you mentioned the, the, the curious times we live in. Remote monitoring has been increasing uh, because of covid and I think we all believe that we're never going to go back to exactly how we were before. And remote monitoring is going to be more of a feature. Uh, patients will need to come to HPN centres um, and be reviewed, uh, weight measurements, anthropometry measurements. But some of the monitoring, at least, is going to be uh, remote. Um, and so we need to have some clear guidance about what that monitoring should be. And then finally, there has been a move to using multi-chamber bags, which are, if you like, off-the-shelf TPM. Um, they may not be supplemented 
and therefore that makes monitoring of micronutrients particularly important. Thank you. Um, that's very clear. The paper sets out BIFA's recommendations, but what are the recommendations from other nutrition uh, societies? So there are guidelines from NICE, from BAPEN, which is the British Association for Parental and Enteral Nutrition, uh, and the European Society, ESPEN. They tend to be guidance which covers all aspects of home parental nutrition care and are not always comprehensive. Uh, I, they don't always advise on all tests and sometimes they give conflicting um, evidence or uh, conflicting um, recommendations. An example would be the, the most recent of those guidelines are the very good ESPEN 2020 guidelines on home parental nutrition. And they make 71 recommendations overall for care, but only two of those apply to blood monitoring, biochemistry and hematological. And therefore, we thought that there really was a need for um, really comprehensive uh, guidance on this very specific area. Um, and we've tried to make it as evidence-based as we can. However, this is an area where there really is uh, not a huge amount of evidence, and some of it seem is, is coming from best guidance. Thank you, Nick, um, again. Could you now sum summarise um, BIFA's recommendations and provide an overview of how BIFA would, see, uh, would suggest monitoring patients on uh, HPN, home parental nutrition? So the monitoring needs to be individualized and uh, of course that makes sense and that may change over time so for instance a patient on palliative home parental nutrition and of those 3,000 patients in the uk between 10 and 15 percent probably are palliative patients and their monitoring regimen is going to be very different from someone who is on lifelong um, home parental nutrition with you would hope for um, a really a long-term prognosis. So the standard blood tests would include the ones you'd expect, user knees, liver function tests, a full blood count, bicarbonate to give some idea about acid base, calcium, magnesium, phosphate, glucose, ferritin as a marker for iron status and CRP. And we are talking about the stable adult patients, but when they're sent home, we would imagine that you would, and we would recommend that patients have those monthly until they are absolutely firmly established at home. And then they would require those three to four monthly. Um, iron is uh, chemically reactive and there's really quite a limited ability for us to supplement parental nutrition. You simply can't put more iron in, in most TPN and therefore specific iron supplementation is often needed either orally if there's sufficient gut and accessible gut or parentally. So then there's um, tests like prothrombin time, lipid profile, a glycosylated haemoglobin or HbA1c, vitamin D, B12 and folate and again our recommendations are that they're performed at baseline when the patient goes home and then six monthly. And then for long-term patients, there are the, if you like, perhaps more esoteric micronutrients, but which are extremely important and in whom you can have either um, insufficiency and deficiency or toxicity. So uh, vitamin A and E, 
zinc, copper, manganese and selenium. And again, we would uh, have recommended that they have baseline measurements and then six monthly. There are a couple of things just to remember when, um, when we're checking the micronutrient levels in particular, is that they can be influenced by inflammation. So in an inflammatory state, levels of some of those become unreliable. So uh, zinc, selenium, vitamins A and D, all of those levels can be, if you like, falsely lowered. And copper can be falsely elevated. And therefore, um, if the patient has evidence of uh, generalized inflammation, and we've chosen a CRP greater than 20 milligrams per litre, if in that case, um, it either test, but think about the, the influence of inflammation, or uh, defer those tests until the inflammation has settled. When you're checking for trace elements, it's very important to use a specific trace element tube. And particularly with manganese, which really is ubiquitous and can be um, leached from the metal of a needle, um, the trace elements shouldn't be the first blood sample you take. So uh, when taking the samples, uh, take other samples like the blood count and then the trace element tube. When considering the lipids and particularly triglycerides, um, the practicality is you're not going to get a fasting sample. But if the, trace, if the triglycerides are elevated, then they should probably be repeated, but with a fasting sample. And that includes not being on parental nutrition for six hours. And then finally, there are a couple of urinary, urinary tests. We've been uh, focusing mostly on blood tests, but uh, a spot urinary sodium can really be very helpful in assessing uh, sodium and fluid balance. And in those patients who have a short bowel, but with a colon incontinuity, we know that they're at increased risk of calcium oxalate stones, and therefore an annual urinary oxalate collection um, would certainly be appropriate. Thank you, Nick. That's very clear. Um, so can you briefly describe the limitations of these recommendations and potentially future areas that need to be addressed by Biffer in relation to managing and monitoring of HPM patients? So I think the simple answer to that is we need more evidence. I think these guidance and they've been through um, a lot of expert opinion and we're very grateful for the BIFA committee, um, many of whom the members have um, seen these and given very uh, helpful comments and uh, positive comments. But this is, but that's best opinion. And so we really need to know how common are abnormal values and, and how important are they? We would hope that classical deficiency is really quite rare, although it absolutely is not unknown. Uh, and we've, uh, in the last two or three years, had patients with significant copper deficiency, folate deficiency, and have identified patients with um, significant manganese levels um, and we've concerned about the risks of manganism um, that's um, uh, neurological uh, symptoms caused by excess manganese but what about subclinical deficiencies uh, or toxicities how important are they 
and we really need more information so uh, more careful audits um, with correlation between trace element levels and clinical outcomes well thank you nick again um for that very detailed answer and thank you very much for doing this podcast today congratulations on your fantastic paper uh, being published in frontline gastroenterology i'm very sure it's going to be extremely well used uh, and well read um, for the listeners today um, you can access the paper directly under this podcast link but uh, thank you again for listening and thank you to uh, Dr Nick Thompson for his uh, expertise today uh, and we hope you'll join us again for a future FG podcast <laughs>